Part One of Antietam National Battlefield, Maryland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Antietam National Battlefield, Maryland, by Frederick Tilburg. Part One. Introduction. In western Maryland is a stream called Antietam Creek nearby is the quiet town of sharpsburg the scene is pastoral with rolling hills and farmlands and patches of woods stone monuments and bronze tablets dot the landscape they seem strangely out of place only some extraordinary event can explain their presence almost by chance two great armies collided here general robert e lee's army of northern virginia was invading the north major general george b mcclellan's army of the potomac was out to stop him on september seventeenth eighteen sixty two the bloodiest day of the civil war the two armies fought the battle of antietam to decide the issue their violent conflict shattered the quiet of maryland's countryside when the hot september sun finally set upon the devastated battlefield twenty-three thousand americans had fallen nearly eight times more than fell at tarawa's beaches in world war ii this single fact with the heroism and suffering it implies gives the monuments and markers their meaning no longer do they presume upon the land rather their mute inadequacy can only hint of the great event that happened here and of its even greater consequences across the potomac on september four to seven eighteen sixty two a ragged host of nearly fifty five thousand men in butternut and gray splashed across the potomac river at white's ford near leesburg virginia this was general robert e lee's army of northern virginia embarked on the confederacy's first invasion of the north though thousands of lee's men were shoeless though they lacked ammunition and supplies though they were fatigued from the marching and fighting just before the historic crossing into maryland they felt invincible only a week before august twenty eighth through the thirtieth they had routed the federals at the battle of second manassas driving them headlong into the defences of washington with this event the strategic initiative so long held by union forces in the east had shifted to the confederacy but lee recognized that union power was almost limitless it must be kept off balance prevented from reorganizing for another drive on richmond the confederate capital only a sharp offensive thrust by southern armies would do this because his army lacked the strength to assault washington general lee had decided on september three to invade maryland north of the potomac his army would be a constant threat to washington this would keep federal forces out of virginia allowing that ravaged land to recuperate from the campaigning that had stripped it it would give maryland's people many of whom sympathized with the south a chance to throw off the northern yoke from maryland lee could march into pennsylvania disrupting the east-west rail communications of the north carrying the brunt of war into that rich land drawing on its wealth to refit his army larger political possibilities loomed too the north was war-weary 
if in the heartland of the union lee could inflict a serious defeat on northern arms the confederacy might hope for more than military dividends the result might be a negotiated peace on the basis of southern independence two a successful campaign might induce england and france to recognize the confederacy and to intervene for the purpose of mediating the conflict so it was that the hopes of the south rode with this army of northern virginia as it marched into frederick maryland on september the seventh mcclellan in command on that same september seven another army assembled at rockville maryland just northwest of washington soon to be nearly ninety thousand strong this was major-general george b mcclellan's army of the potomac its goal to stay between lee's army and washington to seek out the confederate force and as president abraham lincoln hoped to destroy it hastily thrown together to meet the challenge of lee's invasion this union army was a conglomerate of all the forces in the washington vicinity some of its men were fresh from the recruiting depots they lacked training and were deficient in arms others had just returned from the peninsular campaign where lee's army had driven them from the gates of richmond in the seven days battle june twenty sixth to july second still others were the remnants of the force so decisively beaten at second manassas in mcclellan the union army had a commander who was skilled at organization this was the reason president lincoln and commander-in-chief of the army henry halleck had chosen him for command on september three in four days he had pulled together this new army and had gotten it on the march it was a remarkable achievement but in other respects mcclellan was the object of doubt he was cautious he seemed to lack the capacity for full and violent commitment essential to victory against lee whose blood roused at the sound of the guns mcclellan's methodical nature had once before proved wanting during the seven days battles at least so thought president lincoln but this time mcclellan had started well could he now catch lee's army and destroy it bringing the end of the war in sight or failing that could he at least gain a favorable decision a victory in the field would give the president a chance to issue the emancipation proclamation which he had been holding since midsummer the proclamation would declare free the slaves in the confederate states by this means lincoln hoped to infuse the northern cause with regenerative moral power spirits were lagging in the north unless a moral purpose could be added to the north's primary war aim of restoring the union lincoln questioned whether the will to fight could be maintained in the face of growing casualty lists and so followed by mingled doubt and hope mcclellan started in pursuit of the confederate army mcclellan himself was aware of these mingled feelings he knew that lincoln and halleck had come to him as a last resort in a time of emergency he knew they doubted his energy and ability as a combat commander even his orders were unclear for they did not explicitly give him authority to pursue the enemy beyond the defences of washington burdened with knowledge of this lack of faith wary of taking risks because of his ambiguous orders mcclellan marched toward his encounter with the victorious and confident lee lee divides his forces maryland was a disappointment to lee 
on september eight he had issued a dignified proclamation inviting the men of that state to join his command and help restore maryland to her rightful place among the southern states his words concluded with assurance that the marylanders could make their choice with no fear of intimidation from the victorious confederate army in their midst maryland took him at his word her people did not flock to the confederate standard nor were they much help in provisioning his army no doubt lee's barefooted soldiers were a portent to these people who had previously seen only well-fed well-equipped federal troops deprived of expected aid lee had to move onward to pennsylvania quickly for one thing unless he could get shoes for his men his army might melt away straggling was already a serious problem for maryland's hard roads tortured bare feet toughened only to the dirt lanes of virginia by now lee's scouts were bringing reports of the great federal army slowly pushing out from rockville toward frederick lee's proposed route into pennsylvania was dictated by geography west of frederick beyond south mountain is the cumberland valley this is the northern half of the great valley that sweeps northeastward through virginia maryland and pennsylvania that part of the great valley immediately south of the potomac is called the shenandoah valley lee planned to concentrate his army west of the mountains near hagerstown maryland there he would be in direct line with his supply base at winchester in the shenandoah valley after replenishing his supplies and ammunition he could strike northeast through the cumberland valley toward harrisburg pennsylvania where he could destroy the pennsylvania railroad bridge across the susquehanna river once loose in the middle of pennsylvania he could live off the country and threaten philadelphia baltimore and washington before launching this daring maneuver lee must first clear his line of communications through the shenandoah valley to winchester and to richmond blocking it were strong federal garrisons at harper's ferry and martinburg unaccountably they had remained at their posts after the confederate army crossed the potomac now they must be cleared out lee decided to accomplish this mission by boldly dividing his army into four parts on september nine he issued special order one nine one briefly it directed major-general james longstreet and major-general d h hill to proceed across south mountain toward boonsboro and hagerstown three columns cooperating under major-general thomas j stonewall jackson were ordered to converge on harper's ferry from the northwest northeast and east en route the column under jackson's immediate command was to swing westward and catch any federals remaining at martinsburg major-general lafayette mcclaws approaching from the northeast was to occupy maryland heights which overlooks harper's ferry from the north side of the potomac brigadier-general john walker approaching from the east was to occupy loudon heights across the susquehanna river from harper's ferry major-general j e b stewart's cavalry was to screen these movements from mcclellan by remaining east of south mountain at this point a fateful event occurred one which was destined to change the subsequent course of the campaign d h hill jackson's brother-in-law had until this time been under jackson's command unaware that a copy of lee's order had already been sent to hill jackson now prepared an extra copy for that officer 
hill kept the copy from jackson the other was to provide the script for much of the drama that followed lee was courting danger by thus dividing his force in the face of mcclellan's advancing army against a driving opponent lee probably would not have done it but he felt certain that mcclellan's caution would give jackson the margin of time needed to capture harper's ferry and reunite with longstreet before the federal army could come within striking distance that margin was calculated at three or four days by september twelve jackson's force should be marching north toward hagerstown as soon as the army reconcentrated there lee could begin his dash up the cumberland valley into pennsylvania so confident was lee of the marching capacities of the harper's ferry columns and so certain was he that mcclellan would approach slowly that he made no provision for guarding the gaps through south mountain the lost order lee's army departed frederick on september ten two days later leading elements of mcclellan's army entered that city on september thirteen came mcclellan himself with his usual cavalcade of staff officers that same afternoon a copy of lee's special order one nine one was discovered in the encampment grounds previously used by the confederate army quickly it was passed to mcclellan the handwriting was recognized as that of colonel r h chilton lee's assistant adjutant general the document's authenticity could not be doubted the fate of lee's army literally lay in mcclellan's hands if he slashed swiftly through the south mountain gaps and planted his army squarely between longstreet's force near hagerstown and jackson's columns at harper's ferry he could overwhelm the confederate detachments in turn but again mcclellan was methodical not until the next morning september fourteen did his heavy columns get under way this crucial delay was to give lee the chance to pull his army together at the small town of sharpsburg fighting for time at south mountain by september twelve lee had begun to worry stuart's scouts had reported the federal approach to frederick mcclellan was moving too fast next evening things looked worse jackson had not yet captured harper's ferry and already mcclellan's forward troops were pushing stuart back toward the south mountain gaps delay at harper's ferry made these passes through south mountain the key to the situation they must be defended south mountain is the watershed between the middletown and cumberland valleys the frederick hagerstown road leads through middletown then goes over south mountain at turner's gap at the eastern base of the mountain the old road to sharpsburg turned south from the main road and passed through fox's gap a mile south of turner's gap four miles farther south is crampton's gap reached by another road from middletown on the night of september thirteen lee ordered all available forces to defend these three passes d h hill with longstreet coming to his aid covered turner's and fox's gaps mcclaws sent part of his force back from maryland heights to hold crampton's gap next morning the thin stretched confederate defenders saw mcclellan's powerful columns marching across middleton valley up the roads to the gaps they came ponderous and inexorable the right wing of mcclellan's army under major-general ambrose burnside assaulted turner's and fox gaps 
the left wing under major general william franklin struck through crampton's gap by nightfall september fourteen the superior federal forces had broken through at crampton's gap and burnside's men were close to victory at the northern passes the way to the valley was open by his stubborn defense of south mountain lee had gained a day but was it enough mcclellan's speed and shrewd pursuit together with jackson's inability to meet the demanding schedule set forth in special order one nine one had fallen upon lee with all the weight of a strategic surprise no longer could he command events pick his own objectives and make the federal army conform to his moves rather the decision at south mountain had snatched the initiative away from lee his plan for an offensive foray into pennsylvania was wrecked now it was a question of saving his army the first step was to call off the attack on harper's ferry at eight p m september fourteen lee sent a dispatch to mcclaws stating the day has gone against us and this army will go by sharpsburg and across the river it is necessary for you to abandon your position to-night send forward officers to explore the way ascertain the best crossing of the potomac and if you can find any between you and shepherdstown leave shepherdstown ford for this command jackson was ordered to take position at shepherdstown to cover lee's crossing into virginia but then came a message from jackson harper's ferry was about to fall perhaps there was still hope if jackson could capture harper's ferry early the next day the army could reunite at sharpsburg good defensive ground was there a victory over mcclellan might enable lee to continue his campaign of manoeuvre and should disaster threaten the fords of the potomac were nearby at eleven fifteen p m lee countermanded his earlier order the attack on harper's ferry was to proceed shortly after longstreet's division began to march through the night toward sharpsburg harper's ferry surrenders the village of harper's ferry lies at the gateway cut through the mountains by the potomac and shenandoah rivers whose waters join there situated at the apex of the triangle of land between the rivers the town is completely dominated by loudon and maryland heights by nightfall of september fourteen mcclaws and walker had artillery on these heights ready for plunging fire into the town jackson had stretched his lines across the base of the triangle between the rivers caught in this trap were nearly twelve thousand federal troops commanded by colonel d s miles their position was indefensible at daybreak on september fifteen the surrounding confederates artillery opened fire at eight a m the hopelessness of his position confirmed miles ordered the surrender he was killed in the last moments of the battle jackson immediately sent word of his victory to lee then after assigning major-general a p hill's division to dispose of prisoners and booty he prepared the rest of his troops for the hard march ahead the same dawn that signaled jackson's guns to open fire on harper's ferry revealed longstreet's tired soldiers taking positions on the rolling hills around sharpsburg as he watched them lee still did not know whether to fight or to withdraw across the potomac decision awaited upon word from jackson the word came it was good 
the crisis was past even now lee's messenger hurried to direct jackson's veterans toward sharpsburg confident that the entire army would soon be at hand certain that he could whip mcclellan lee decided to fight lee takes a stand on sharpsburg ridge lee's decision to make his stand on the low ridge extending north and south of sharpsburg might well have led to disaster for the confederate army a large part of his force was still scattered and several miles away backed against the coils of the potomac river with only the ford near shepherdstown offering an avenue of withdrawal a reversal in battle could result in rout and consequent loss of thousands of men and scores of guns longstreet voiced disapproval of battle at sharpsburg jackson hurriedly examining the ground on his arrival from harper's ferry strongly favored lee's choice the village of sharpsburg lies in a small valley at the western base of sharpsburg's ridge from the village the boonesboro pike leads east across the ridge then across antietam creek the hagerstown pike extends northward on the crest of the ridge from the hagerstown pike gently rolling farmland spreads a mile eastward to antietam creek and the same distance westward to the winding potomac river a mile north of sharpsburg was a heavy patch of trees known as west woods it was about three hundred yards wide at its southern limits tapering to two hundred yards or less as it stretched away northwest from the pike half a mile east of hagerstown pike was another patch of trees called east woods it was two hundred yards wide and extended a quarter mile south across the smoketown road northwoods a triangular plot of trees stretched east from the hagerstown pike over the poffenberger farm half a mile to the west looms nicodemus hill a prominent landmark near the potomac artillery on its heights would command the open ground lying between the patches of woodland in this open area east of the hagerstown pike lay a forty-acre cornfield west of the pike were outcroppings of rock running nearly parallel to the road ready-made fortifications adjacent to the hagerstown pike on a slight rise near the lower end of west woods stood a dunker church a small white building framed by massive oaks southeast of sharpsburg rolling land broken by deep ravines extends a mile beyond to a sharp bend in antietam creek crossings of swiftly flowing antietam creek were readily available the road extending northwest from keedysville went over the stream at the upper bridge the road to sharpsburg from greensboro over the middle bridge and the road to sharpsburg from pleasant valley over the lower bridge the stream could be crossed also at prize mill ford a half mile south of the upper bridge at snavely's ford nearly a mile south of the lower bridge and at other unnamed fording places with its advantages of woodland and outcroppings of rock ledges lee believed that the ridge north of sharpsburg offered a strong battle position though he had ample time to construct earthworks the confederate commander chose to rely wholly on natural defenses as lee's men approached from boonesboro during the morning hours of september fifteen they turned left and right off the pike to form their lines on sharpsburg ridge brigadier general john hood with only two brigades held the ground at the fringe of the west woods 
from the dunker church northwest to nicodemus hill near the potomac here stuart's cavalry protected the left end or flank of the line from hood's position southward to sharpsburg d h hill placed his five brigades east of and paralleling the hagerstown pike brigadier general nathan evans brigade occupied the center of the line in front of sharpsburg his men straddled the boonsboro pike the six brigades of major general d r jones extended the confederate front southeast nearly a mile to the lower bridge over antietam creek the fords over the antietam at the extreme right of the line were guarded by colonel thomas mumford's cavalry brigade artillery was placed at advantage points on the ridges throughout the fifteenth lee presented a show of strength with fourteen brigades of infantry and three of cavalry about eighteen thousand men mcclellan concentrates at the antietam against this pretense of power general mcclellan marched cautiously on the forenoon of the fifteenth over good roads and in fine weather by noon he arrived at the confederate front with a force of nearly seventy five thousand men mcclellan hesitated and the day wore away as the early morning fog of the sixteenth cleared lee's artillerists caught sight of federal guns on the high bank beyond antietam creek the thunder of a prolonged duel between lee's guns and brigadier-general henry hunt's powerful federal batteries soon rolled through the hills there was no question in mcclellan's mind now that lee intended to hold sharpsburg ridge in mid-afternoon of the sixteenth mcclellan prepared for battle major-general joseph hooker's i corps was instructed to take position opposite the confederate left on the hagerstown pike major-general joseph mansfield's twelfth corps and major-general edwin summers second corps were to extend the battle line from hooker's left to the smoketown road and on to antietam creek near prize mill ford the fifth corps major-general fitz jones porter commanding was directed to occupy the centre of the federal line on the boonsboro pike burnside was to place his ninth corps just east of the lower bridge over antietam creek major-general william franklin's sixth corps was to support the entire front in the centre on the high east bank of antietam creek and south of the boonsboro pike general hunt placed four batteries of twenty-pounder parrot rifles the most powerful cannon on the field mcclellan's plan called for an initial attack on the confederate left flank on the hagerstown pike with the two corps of hooker and mansfield mcclellan intended to support this mass charge with sumner's entire force and if necessary with franklin's corps if the powerful thrust against the confederate left should succeed mcclellan would send burnside's corps across antietam creek at the lower bridge and strike the confederate right flank on the ridge southeast of sharpsburg should burnside succeed in turning the southern end of lee's line he would be expected to carry the attack northwest toward sharpsburg finally if either of these flanking movements appeared successful mcclellan would drive up the boonsboro pike with all available forces to smash the confederate center it was a good plan if the federal attacks could be delivered in concert mcclellan's preponderance of power must stretch lee's smaller force to the breaking point but the story of antietam is one of piecemeal federal attacks 
a corps here a division there this failure in execution allowed lee to shift troops from momentarily quiet sectors to plug the gaps torn by the succession of federal attacks as each threat developed lee rushed his troops there and beat it back taking advantage of his interior lines he repeatedly achieved a local advantage of numbers though larger federal contingents were always nearby end of part one part two of antietam national battlefield maryland by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part two the lines are poised for action at two p m on the sixteenth hooker marched from his camp near keedysville crossed the upper bridge and late in the afternoon reached the hagerstown pike under cover of the north woods his division formed for the attack on both sides of the pike a massed force of more than twelve thousand men was ready to advance on the confederates lee's thin line three miles long had been reinforced early on the sixteenth by the arrival of jackson's troops from harper's ferry they were placed where they could support the northern part of the confederate line john walker's division arriving from harper's ferry in the afternoon took position south of sharpsburg jackson now commanded the confederate front north of sharpsburg longstreet with a part of his force north of the village extended the line nearly a mile south when lee's outpost near antietam creek informed him in mid-afternoon that hooker's federals were massing north of sharpsburg lee moved some of his men to advance positions hood established a line east of the hagerstown pike with part of his troops in a cornfield and others extending the front to the east woods skirmishers spread out far in front additional troops were rushed from reserve near lee's headquarters at the oak grove west of sharpsburg they extended the line west across the hagerstown pike it was dusk by the time hooker's force was ready to charge with major-general george meade's men leading the way they struck hood's confederates at the edge of the east woods and in the adjacent fields a brisk artillery fire from opposing batteries forced the men to seek cover the gathering darkness made it difficult for the forces on either side to locate their marks gradually the opening skirmish at antietam ended the thrust of the federal skirmishers however made it clear to lee just where the next federal blow would fall even as hooker's federals withdrew to the cover of the north woods strong forces were moving to their aid the two powerful corps under mansfield and sumner mansfield would lead the twelfth corps across antietam creek about midnight and encamp one and a half miles northeast of hooker sumner's second corps would cross the antietam at prize mill ford at seven thirty the next morning to lend additional support lee too was counting on reinforcements mcclaw's division was expected to arrive on the field by mid-morning a p hill who had been left at harper's ferry to handle details of the surrender would arrive late in the day on the evening of september sixteenth picket lines were so close that the men on both sides though unable to see each other could hear footsteps they knew that a tremendous struggle would begin at dawn 
some tried to sleep but scattered firing throughout the night made this difficult others cleaned and cleaned again their rifled muskets whose huge bullets made holes as big as silver dollars artillerists brought up ammunition for their smooth-bore napoleons so deadly at close range and for the long-range rifled parrot guns and so these men got through the night each one facing the impending crisis in his own way hooker strikes at daybreak a drizzling rain fell during the night the morning of the seventeenth broke gray and misty but the skies cleared early as rays of light outlined the fringe of trees about the dunker church restless federal skirmishers opened fire a line of rifle fire flashed from the southern muskets far out in front of the church soon powerful federal guns on the bluffs beyond antietam creek poured a raking fire of shot and shell into the confederate lines the first stage of mcclellan's plan of crushing lee folding up the confederate left flank was about to begin hooker struck with tremendous force with skirmishers still hotly engaged ten brigades moved out from the cover of the north woods brigadier-general abner doubleday's men advanced along the hagerstown pike brigadier-general james ricketts force charged down the smoketown road toward the dunker church part of meade's division in the center was held in reserve hooker's artillery massed on the ridge near the poffenberger house raked the confederate lines heads down and bent to the side like people breasting a hailstorm the wave of federals charged southward spreading over the front from east woods to the fringe of west woods from left and from right confederate brigades poured into the fray to buttress jackson's line of battle d h hill sent three brigades from the sunken road dangerously weakening his own line but then first things first and this is the story of the confederate defense throughout the day hood's two brigades stood in reserve in the woods adjoining the dunker church eight thousand confederates awaited hooker's assault while most of jackson's men formed a line from east to west in front of the dunker church brigadier-general a r lawton had sent a strong force into the miller cornfield three hundred yards in advance concealed he believed from the enemy doubleday's federals came upon the cornfield as we appeared at the edge of the corn related major rufus dawes a long line of men in butternut and gray rose up from the ground simultaneously the hostile battle lines opened a tremendous fire upon each other men i cannot say fell they were knocked out of the ranks by dozens hooker nearby saw farther in the field the reflection of sunlight from the enemy's bayonets projecting above the corn ordering all of his spare batteries to the left of this field the federal guns at close range raked the cornfield with canister and shell in the time i am writing hooker later wrote every stalk of corn in the northern and greater part of the field was cut as closely as could have been done with a knife and the slain lay in rows precisely as they had stood in their ranks a few moments before it was never my fortune to witness a more bloody dismal battlefield those confederates who survived the slaughter in the cornfield now fled before the federal onslaught 
heading for west woods they had to clamber over the picket and rail fence bordering the hagerstown pike many were shot in the attempt and lay spread-eagled across the fence or piled on either side one soldier recalled the hysterical excitement that now gripped the union troops the only thought was victory without regard for safety they charged forward loading firing and shouting as they advanced in contrast were the fallen as waves of blue-clad troops swept by wounded men looked up and cried for aid but there was no time to stop while doubleday's division charged through the cornfield ricketts men on the left of the attacking columns pushed through the east woods to its southern fringe captain dunbar ransom's battery broke from the cover of the east woods and fired shot and shell into the staggering confederate lines for more than an hour the battlefront flamed along an extended semicircular line from the open fields of the muma farm northwest through the cornfield to the rocky ledges in west woods the fury of the federal attack had carried doubleday's and ricketts men deep into the confederate line and now meade's reserve brigades rushed forward in this critical stage jackson launched a driving counter-attack hood's men supported by d h hill's brigades battered the federals back to the cornfield but were halted by the point-blank fire of union guns in east woods mansfield renews the attack as the remnants of hooker's command sought shelter under the cover of powerful federal batteries in front of east woods a new threat faced the confederates mansfield's twelfth corps which had encamped more than a mile to the rear of hooker during the night had marched at the sound of hooker's opening guns at seven thirty a m almost an hour and a half later mansfield's force was approaching from the north in heavy columns seeing hooker's plight mansfield now rushed to the forefront of his men urging them to the attack but his work was cut short by a confederate ball mortally wounded he was carried from the field without pause brigadier-general alpheus williams moved up to command and the attack swept on over ground just vacated by hooker on the right brigadier-general samuel crawford's division bore down the hagerstown pike toward the confederates in west woods attacking in separate units however their lines were shattered by brigadier-general j r jones men fighting from the cover of projecting rocks j e b stewart's artillery from the hill a half mile to the west rapidly dispersed the remnants on the left the federals fared better they pounded hood's men back across the fields toward the dunker church and opened a great gap in the confederate line into the hole plunged brigadier-general george s green's union division only a desperate confederate stand stopped green's men at the dunker church there they remained an isolated salient beyond support the federal assault had shot its bolt attacking separately the two corps of hooker and mansfield had each come within a hair of breaking jackson's line what if they attacked together again and again through this long day the same question changing only the names would apply it may have been while observing this critical fight near the dunker church that general lee saw a straggler heading back toward camp lugging a pig that he had killed with disaster so close 
and straggling one of its chief causes lee momentarily lost control and ordered jackson to shoot the man as an example to the army instead jackson gave the culprit a musket and placed him where action was hottest for the rest of the day he came through unscathed and was afterward known as the man who had lost his pig but saved his bacon jackson prepares an ambush by nine a m three hours of killing had passed the miller cornfield had become a no-man's land its tall stalks trampled to the ground and strewn with blood-soaked corpses firing had been so intense had so fouled the men's muskets that some of them were using rocks to pound their ramrods home for a moment the fighting ceased then powerful reserves were rushed forward by commanders of both armies to renew the battle jackson was in extreme danger green's federals still lurked near the dunker church waiting only for support to renew their attack on the frayed confederate line and at this very moment a mass of blue-clad infantry could be seen emerging from the east woods half a mile away it was part of sumner's second corps moving up from the morning's third major federal attack swiftly jackson gathered together reinforcements from other sectors of the battlefield some had arrived from harper's ferry these were mcclaw's men with hardly a pause they moved north and disappeared into the west woods lee ordered walker's two brigades north from the lower bridge they too disappeared into the west woods thus they came racing from far and near as soon as they came in jackson craftily placed these men behind the rocks and ridges at the western fringe of the woods soon they formed a great semicircle whose outer points perfectly encompassed the five thousand men in sumner's approaching column ten thousand confederates were there now they disappeared into the landscape and waited sumner's second corps under orders to support the attack on the confederate left had prepared at dawn to cross antietam creek at pry mill ford impatient sumner had awaited the signal to march while the battle raged with increasing violence on the ridge beyond the stream finally at seven thirty a m he led major-general john sedgwick's division across the ford Brigadier-General William French's division followed, but soon drifted to the south and lost contact with Sedgwick. Believing that he still led two divisions, Sumner continued his march past the east woods. By now he knew that the earlier Federal attackers could give him no support, but he believed that the Confederates who had repulsed them must be equally exhausted and disorganized striking now immediately he might turn the tide before the enemy had time to recover in his hurry sumner neglected to make sure that french's division followed closely in his rear neither had he taken time to reconnoitre the confederate front in the west woods soon after nine a m sedgwick's heavy column with sumner in the lead started toward the hagerstown pike battle flags waving bayonets glistening the division marched forward in brigade front long swaying lines of two ranks each unmolested they crossed the pike and passed into the west woods almost surrounding them were jackson's quietly waiting ten thousand suddenly the trap was sprung caught within a pocket of almost encircling fire in such compact formation that return fire was impossible sedgwick's men were reduced to utter helplessness 
completely at the mercy of the confederates on the front flank and rear the federal lines were shattered by converging volleys so appalling was the slaughter nearly half of sedgwick's five thousand men were struck down in less than twenty minutes but the trap had not been completely closed in the confusion of the surprise assault many regiments on the federal right found an opening hastily withdrawing to the northeast they soon found cover under the protecting fire of sedgwick's artillery in the cornfield other batteries in the east woods and to the north joined in the cannonade eagerly grasping the opportunity for a counter-attack jackson's line now swept across the open fields and charged the federal batteries in front of east woods but the fire was more than sheer valor could overcome blasted with grape and canister from the crossfire of fifty guns the confederates staggered then gave way and drew back to the cover of west woods there protruding rock strata protected them meanwhile from his menacing position near the dunker church green was driven back by confederate reserves three-quarters of lee's army was now north of sharpsburg the successive federal attacks had punched the northeast salient of the confederate left and center inward toward the dunker church now these two sectors were merged into one long line that ran roughly southeast from nicodemus hill past the dunker church to end along the sunken road what had been the right southern end of the long confederate line was now the rear properly speaking lee had no center he had two separate lines the main one facing northeast toward east woods and a detached guard force facing southeast toward the lower bridge between them was only a thin line of riflemen if mcclellan now delivered simultaneous hammer blows from northeast east and southeast he would surely destroy lee's weak defensive setup but if he continued his piecemeal attacks lee could keep on shuttling his brigades back and forth to meet them and this is what they both did the fight for the sunken road sedgwick may have wondered in the moments before the confederate onslaught in the west woods why general french was not closely following him nor is it clear in view of french's instructions why he did not do so french's troops had crossed prize mill ford in sedgwick's wake after marching about a mile west they had veered south toward the roulette farmhouse possibly drawn that way by the fire of enemy skirmishers continuing to advance they became engaged with confederate infantry at the farmhouse and in a ravine which inclined southward to a ridge on the west of this ridge a strong enemy force waited in a deeply cut lane the sunken road worn down by farm use and the wash of heavy rains the natural trench joins the hagerstown pike five hundred yards south of the dunker church from this point the road runs east about a thousand yards then turns south towards the boonsboro pike that first one thousand yards was soon to be known as bloody lane posted in the road embankment were the five brigades of d h hill at dawn these men had faced east their line crossing the sunken road but under the pressure of the federal attacks on the confederate left they had swung northward three of hill's brigades had been drawn into the fight around the dunker church then green's federals had driven them back toward the sunken road 
there hill rallied his troops about ten thirty a m as the men were piling fence rails on the embankment to strengthen the position a strong enemy force appeared on their front steadily advancing with parade-like precision it was french's division heading up the ravine toward sunken road ridge crouched at the road embankment hill's men delivered a galling fire into french's ranks the federals fell back then charged again one union officer later wrote for three hours and thirty minutes the battle raged incessantly without either party giving way but french's division alone could not maintain its hold on the ridge hurt by fire from confederates in the road and on either side the union men gave way still it was not over french's reserve brigade now rushed up restoring order in the disorganized ranks once again the division moved forward now opportunely major-general israel richardson's federal division also of sumner's corps arrived on the left of french and was about to strike hill's right flank in the road embankment it was a critical moment for the confederates aware that loss of the sunken road might bring disaster lee ordered forward his last reserve the five brigades of major-general r h anderson's division at the same time brigadier-general robert rhodes of hill's division launched a furious attack to hold the federals back until anderson's men could arrive this thrust kept french's men from aiding richardson who even now prepared to assault the confederates in the road as french's attack halted richardson swept forward in magnificent array richardson was a tough old fighter bluff and courageous a leader of men one of his officers recalled his leading the advance sword in hand where's general blank he cried some soldiers answered behind the haystack oh, damn the field officers the old man roared pushing on with his men toward the sunken road in three units they passed to the east of the roulette farmhouse and charged the confederates at the crest of the ridge as the struggle increased in fury r h anderson's brigades arrived in the rear of hill's troops in the road but anderson fell wounded soon after his arrival and suddenly the charging confederate counter-offensive lost its punch by a mistake order rhodes men in the sunken road near the roulette lane withdrew to the rear a dangerous gap opened on the confederate front the artillerist lieutenant colonel e p alexander wrote later when rhodes brigade left the sunken road lee's army was ruined and the end of the confederacy was in sight union colonel francis barlow saw the gap in the confederate front opened by rhodes withdrawal quickly swinging two regiments astride the road he raked its length with perfectly timed volleys routed by this devastating enfilade the confederate defenders fled the road and retreated south toward sharpsburg only a heroic rally by d h hill's men prevented a breakthrough into the town the sunken road was now bloody lane dead confederates lay so thick there wrote one federal soldier that as far down the road as he could see a man could have walked upon them without once touching ground the federals had suffered heavily too their bodies covered the approaches to the ridge in the final moments while leading his men in pursuit colonel barlow had been seriously wounded and shortly after his commander general richardson had fallen with a mortal wound 
the fight for the sunken road had exhausted both sides at one p m they halted and panting men grabbed their canteens to swish the dust and powder from their rasping throats the confederate retreat from bloody lane had uncovered a great gap in the centre of lee's line a final plunge through this hole would sever the confederate army into two parts that could be destroyed in detail only a few scattered handful of harvey hill's division were left wrote general william allen and r h anderson's was hopelessly confused and broken there was no body of confederate infantry in this part of the field that could have resisted a serious advance so desperate was the situation that general longstreet himself held horses for his staff while they served two cannons supporting hill's thin line but mcclellan's caution stopped the breakthrough before it was born though franklin's sixth corps was massed for attack mcclellan restrained it it would not be prudent to make the attack he told franklin after a brief examination of the situation our position on the right being considerably in advance of what it had been in the morning so mcclellan turned to defensive measures franklin's reserve corps would not be committed but would remain in support of the federal right and in the center mcclellan held back fitzjohn porter's fifth corps after all reasoned the federal commander was not this the only force that stood between the enemy and the federal supply train on the boonsboro pike but porter was not quite alone the entire federal artillery reserves stood with him further brigadier-general alfred pleasanton had placed his cavalry and artillery on a commanding ridge west of the middle range during the morning from here he had already supported the attack by sumner's corps on the sunken road and he had aided burnside's efforts on the left now he stood poised for further action pleasanton was to wait in vain his dual purpose of obtaining an enfilading fire upon the enemy in front of burnside and of enabling sumner to advance to sharpsburg was nullified by mcclellan's decision to halt and take the defensive in striking contrast to mcclellan's caution general lee was at that very moment considering a complete envelopment of the federal flank at the north and east woods by this means he might relieve the pressure on d h hill for despite the lull lee could not believe that mcclellan had halted the attack there if the attack in the north woods succeeded lee hoped to drive the federal remnants to the banks of antietam creek and administer a crushing defeat jackson and j e b stuart early in the afternoon shifted northward and prepared to charge the federal lines when they arrived close to the powerful federal artillery on poffenberger ridge they saw that a confederate attack there would be shattered by these massed guns a wholesome respect for federal artillerists now forced lee to withdraw his order as he did so heavy firing to the south heralded a new threat developing there end of part two part three of antietam national battlefield maryland by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part three burnside takes the lower bridge during the morning of the seventeenth confederate observers on the north side of sharpsburg had spotted masses of federals moving southward beyond antietam creek 
these were the four divisions of burnside's ninth corps concentrating for the attack on the lower bridge topography at the lower bridge heavily favored the few hundred georgia men who defended it under the leadership of brigadier general robert toombs the road approaching the east end of the bridge swings on a course paralleling that of antietam creek in the last few hundred yards before reaching the bridge the road plunges into a funnel-like depression between the opposing bluffs of the creek toombs men were in rifle pits on the west bluff overlooking the bridge and the approach road because of faulty reconnaissance burnside did not know that fords were nearby where his men could have waded across the stream instead the federal plan of attack forced the advancing columns to pile into this funnel and storm across the bridge soon after nine a m the federal divisions began to assault the bridge one after another their gallant charges were broken by deadly short-range fire from tombs georgians by noon when the agony at the sunken road was reaching its highest pitch and despite repeated orders from mcclellan to get across antietam creek at all costs the bottleneck at the bridge was still unbroken meanwhile brigadier general isaac rodman's union division had moved slowly downstream from the bridge in search of a crossing rounding a sharp bend in the creek nearly a mile south scouts came upon shallow water at snavely's ford late in the morning rodman crossed the stream and began to drive against the right flank of the georgians guarding the bridge about the same time colonel george crook's scouts located a ford a few hundred yards above the bridge there he sent his brigade across captain seth j simmons battery was placed in position to command the bridge at one p m the defending confederates saw a sudden stir across antietam creek two regiments the fifty first new york and the fifty first pennsylvania marched swiftly out from the cover of the wooded hill and charged for the bridge supported now by converging artillery fire they quickly formed into columns and were over the bridge before confederate artillery could halt them soon a wide gap split the confederate defense masses of federal troops poured across the bridge while rodman and crook hammered the confederate flanks burnside's men had gained the west bank of the creek but again there was fateful delay as burnside paused to reorganize by the time he was ready to drive the southern defenders from the ridge in his front two critical hours had passed close to three p m the mighty federal line moved slowly up the hill toward sharpsburg then gained momentum the movement of the dark column related an observer with arms and banners glittering in the sun following the double line of skirmishers dashing forward at a trot loading and firing alternately as they moved was one of the most brilliant and exciting exhibitions of the day first brushing aside the depleted ranks in the rifle pits above the ridge the federals struck d r jones four lonely brigades on the hills southeast of sharpsburg whence every other confederate infantry unit had been withdrawn to reinforce the line to the north unable to stem the massive federal attack jones men were driven back toward the town to halt the federal tide lee shifted all available artillery southward by four p m however the federals were approaching the village itself only a half mile lay between them and lee's line of retreat to the potomac disaster seemed at hand for lee's 
decimated force a p hill turns the tide but now came a great moment in confederate military annals a p hill's notable light division having hurriedly crossed the potomac three miles away was driving hard toward the jubilant federals charging on sharpsburg some of hill's artillery had already arrived from harper's ferry with the cheering news that hill's brigade of infantry were close by at lee's urgent order hill had left harper's ferry early sensing the critical role they would play urged on at sword point by their grim commander hill's veterans had covered the seventeen miles from harper's ferry to the potomac in seven hours hundreds of men had fallen out unable to keep the pace now across the river the stalwart survivors pounded on toward the sound of the guns suddenly the head of hill's column appeared on the road to the south hill rode up to lee's headquarters at the oak grove then quickly to d r jones whose exhausted troops formed the last defense line in front of sharpsburg hill's five brigades now rushed toward the federal flank confusion gripped burnside's men as this unexpected onslaught plowed into their lines men broke and started to run in moments the tide had turned the federal lines sagging from the overwhelming charge of the southerners and with gaping holes cut by artillery fell back across the hills to the sheltering banks of antietam creek powerful federal artillery continued to thunder across the hills heavy blue columns could still be seen in overmastering strength across antietam creek and far to the north but the federal commander had called a halt an hour and a half after the timely arrival of a p hill's division from harper's ferry the battle ended with sunset the firing died away that night the tired men lay on their arms in line of battle neither side would admit defeat neither could claim the victory retreat from sharpsburg seldom had lee's army fought a battle so strenuous and so long the sun a soldier wrote seemed almost to go backwards and it seemed as if night would never come from dawn to sunset the confederate commander had thrown into battle every organized unit north of the potomac straggling in the days preceding antietam had reduced lee's army from fifty five thousand to forty one thousand men this small force had sustained five major attacks by mcclellan's eighty seven thousand man army three in the west woods and the miller cornfield and those at the sunken road and the lower bridge each time the outcome hanging in the balance in the stillness of the night lee called his commanders to his headquarters west of sharpsburg of each in turn he asked the condition of the men and each even jackson spoke against renewal of battle on the morrow still too weak to assume the offensive lee wrote later we waited without apprehension the renewal of the attack early in the following morning it became apparent that mcclellan was not going to attack though during the night he had received strong reinforcements and more were on the way still undaunted lee returned to his plan of striking the federal right at poffenberger ridge but after surveying the ground his officers informed him that federal batteries completely dominated the narrow strip of land over which the attack must be launched an attempt against the federal guns would be suicidal 
balked in his last hope of a counter-offensive lee realized that he could not recall the decision won by mcclellan at south mountain the campaign was lost during the afternoon he announced to his lieutenants his intention of withdrawing that night across the potomac at midnight longstreet led the way across blackford's ford and formed a protective line on the south bank steadily through the night and early morning the confederate columns crossed over into virginia mcclellan did not actively pursue as the days passed and lee's army withdrew into the shenandoah valley president lincoln became impatient the time was at hand he thought for the decisive blow calling upon mcclellan on the field of antietam october first lincoln urged a vigorous pursuit of the confederate army mcclellan insisted that his army required reorganization and new equipment the president having lost all confidence in mcclellan removed him from command on november seven the battle and the campaign tactically antietam was a draw strategically however it was a northern victory because it halted lee's invasion though mcclellan failed to destroy lee's army his contribution was in many ways notable in the three weeks after he was chosen for command on september three he provided for washington's defense created a new field army fought two major actions compelled lee's evacuation of maryland and established federal control of the potomac river from washington to williamsport that he was not a daring commander of lee's stripe cannot detract from these solid achievements lee on the other hand may have been too daring because of this he made two major miscalculations first his invasion of maryland imposed a strain that his poorly equipped and exhausted army could not support heavy straggling was the surest evidence of this second he misjudged the capacity of the enemy to recuperate from the effects of second manassas and quickly put a reliable field army on his trail he did achieve one of his objectives the delay of the federal armies in resuming major offensive operations in virginia until the next winter but the price was high and the south could not afford the kind of attrition suffered in the campaign casualties were so heavy in the battle of antietam that september seventeenth eighteen sixty two is termed the bloodiest day of the civil war of mcclellan's twenty six thousand and twenty three killed wounded and captured during the maryland campaign including harper's ferry he counted twelve thousand four hundred and ten at antietam of lee's thirteen thousand three hundred and eighty five casualties during the campaign ten thousand seven hundred fell at antietam the war for the union takes on a new purpose after antietam there was no serious threat of foreign recognition or intervention on behalf of the confederacy and the repulse inflicted on lee's army of northern virginia gave abraham lincoln the opportunity he had sought on september twenty second just five days after the battle the president issued the preliminary emancipation proclamation it declared that upon the first day of january next all slaves within any state or district then in rebellion against the united states shall be then and thenceforward and forever free with the formal emancipation proclamation of january one eighteen sixty three the war took on new purpose 
in the north and in many foreign lands the cause of american union had become one with that of human liberty clara barton at antietam at antietam also was clara barton founder of the american red cross on this field of desolation long after the guns had ceased miss barton was still busily rendering care to the wounded and dying having arrived early in the day in the northern area of battle she witnessed the wounded men of sedgwick's depleted ranks streaming to the cover of north and east woods by mid-morning her wagon-load of supplies donated by the citizens of washington had arrived she worked tirelessly with army surgeons at the field hospital on the joseph poffenberger farm her supply of bandages linens anesthetics and oil lanterns replenished the surgeon's urgent need of dressing and provided light to carry on through the night so outstanding were her services on the field of battle that she later received official recognition by the united states army medical corps her work here and later would become basic to the establishment of the american red cross antietam national battlefield and cemetery the antietam national battlefield was established august thirty eighteen ninety to commemorate the significant events of september seventeenth eighteen sixty two and to preserve the important features of the battlefield administered by the war department until nineteen thirty three the site was transferred that year to the u s department of the interior to be administered by the national park service the battle of antietam was fought over an area of twelve square miles the site to-day consists of eight hundred and ten acres containing approximately eight and a half miles of tour roads located along the battlefield avenues to mark battle positions of infantry artillery and cavalry are many monuments markers and narrative tablets similar markers describe the actions at turner's gap harper's ferry and blackford's ford key artillery positions on the field of antietam are marked by cannon and ten large-scale field exhibits at important points on the field indicate troop positions and battle action the war correspondence memorial arch and the first new jersey regimental monument are located at crampton's gap and at fox's gap is the memorial to major-general jesse reno who was killed while leading the federal attack there outstanding in the observance of battle anniversaries at antietam was the occasion of the seventy-fifth anniversary on september seventeenth nineteen thirty seven thirty-five thousand persons including fifty veterans who fought at antietam joined in the observance held on the battlefield near the sunken road the robert e lee memorial tablet located in a plot at the western limits of sharpsburg marks the headquarters of general lee general mcclellan's headquarters were in the philip pry house two miles east of sharpsburg near the boonsboro pike the national cemetery located at the eastern limits of sharpsburg is the burial place of federal dead from the battles of antietam south mountain and minor engagements the cemetery was established by an act of the maryland legislature in march eighteen sixty five the dedication took place september seventeenth eighteen sixty seven the fifth anniversary of the battle the cemetery plot of eleven acres was deeded by the state of maryland to the united states government on march thirteenth eighteen seventy eight 
of four thousand seven hundred and seventy six civil war burials one thousand eight hundred and thirty six are listed as unidentified the total number of burials including nearly three hundred from recent wars is more than five thousand administration the antietam national battlefield is a part of the national park system owned by the people of the united states and administered for them by the national park service u s department of the interior communication should be addressed to the superintendent antietam national battlefield p o box one fifty eight sharpsburg maryland two one seven eight two end of part three Part 4 of Antietam National Battlefield, Maryland by Frederick Tilburg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 4. Appendix. The Emancipation Proclamation. On August 22, 1862, just one month before Abraham Lincoln issued the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, he wrote a letter to Horace Greeley, abolitionist editor of the New York Tribune. The letter read in part, I would save the Union. I would save it the shortest way under the Constitution. The sooner the national authority can be restored, the nearer the Union will be the Union as it was. If there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time save slavery, I do not agree with them. If there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery, I do not agree with them. My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, and is not either to save or destroy slavery. I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty, and I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. For some months before the Battle of Antietam, as his letter to Greeley indicates, Lincoln had been wrestling with the problem of slavery and its connection with the war. He became convinced that a new spiritual and moral force, emancipation of the slaves, must be injected into the Union cause, else the travail of war might dampen the fighting spirit of the North. If this loss of vitality should come to pass, the paramount political objective of restoring the Union might never be attained. Another compelling factor in Lincoln's thinking was the need to veer European opinion away from its sympathy for the South. A war to free the slaves would enlist the support of Europe in a way that a war for purely political objectives could not. Thus, slowly and with much soul-searching, Lincoln's official view of his duty came to correspond with his personal wish for human freedom. The outcome of these deliberations was the Emancipation Proclamation. The federal victory at Antietam gave Lincoln the opportunity to issue the proclamation, a dramatic step toward eliminating slavery in the United States. By this act, Lincoln stretched the Constitution to the limit of its meaning. His interpretation of presidential war powers was revolutionary. It would become a precedent for other presidents who would similarly find constitutional authority for emergency action in time of war. More important, the proclamation was to inaugurate a revolution in human relationships. Although Congress had previously enacted laws concerning the slaves that went 
substantially as far as the emancipation proclamation the laws had lacked the dramatic and symbolic import of lincoln's words dating from the proclamation the war became a crusade and the vital force of abolition sentiment was captured for the union cause both at home and abroad especially in england the immediate practical effects of the emancipation proclamation were negligible applying as it did only to those areas in rebellion where it could not be enforced but its message became a symbol and a goal which opened the way for universal emancipation in the future thus the thirteenth fourteenth and fifteenth amendments to the constitution are direct progeny of lincoln's proclamation any document with the long-term importance of the emancipation proclamation deserves to be read by those who experience its effects following is the text of the formal emancipation proclamation issued on january one eighteen sixty three by the president of the united states of america a proclamation whereas on the twenty-second day of september a d eighteen sixty two a proclamation was issued by the president of the united states containing among other things the following to wit that on the first day of january a d eighteen sixty three all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the united states shall be then thenceforward and forever free and the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authority thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom that the executive will on the first day of january aforesaid by proclamation designate the states and parts of states if any in which the people thereof respectively shall then be in rebellion against the united states and the fact that any state or the people thereof shall on that day be in good faith represented in the congress of the united states by members chosen thereto at elections wherein a majority of the qualified voters of such states shall have participated shall in the absence of strong countervailing testimony be deemed conclusive evidence that such state and the people thereof are not then in rebellion against the united states now therefore i abraham lincoln president of the united states by virtue of the power in me vested as commander-in-chief of the army and navy of the united states in time of actual armed rebellion against the authority and government of the united states and as a fit and necessary war measure for suppressing said rebellion do on this first day of january a d eighteen sixty three and in accordance with my purpose so to do publicly proclaim for the full period of one hundred days from the first day above mentioned order and designate as the states and parts of states wherein the people thereof respectively are this day in rebellion against the united states the following to wit arkansas texas louisiana except the parishes of st bernard paquimenez jefferson st john st charles st james ascension assumption terrebonne la fourche st mary st martin and orleans 
including the city of New Orleans. Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia, except the 48 counties designated as West Virginia, and also the counties of Berkeley, Accomack, Northampton, Elizabeth City, York, Princess Anne, and Norfolk, including the cities of Norfolk and Portsmouth, and which accepted parts are for the present left precisely as if this proclamation were not issued and by virtue of the power and for the purpose aforesaid i do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforward shall be free and that the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authorities thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons and i hereby enjoin upon the people so declared to be free to abstain from all violence unless in necessary self-defence and i recommend to them that in all cases when allowed they labor faithfully for reasonable wages and i further declare and make known that such persons of suitable condition will be received into the armed services of the united states to garrison forts positions stations and other places and to man vessels of all sorts in said service and upon this act sincerely believed to be an act of justice warranted by the constitution upon military necessity i invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of almighty god supplementary the bloodiest day of the civil war the battle of antietam or sharpsburg on september seventeenth eighteen sixty two climaxed the first of confederate general robert e lee's two attempts to carry the war into the north about forty thousand southerners were pitted against the eighty seven thousand man federal army of the potomac under general george b mcclellan and when the fighting ended the course of the american civil war had been greatly altered after his great victory at manassas in august lee had marched his army of northern virginia into maryland hoping to find vitally needed men and supplies mcclellan followed first to frederick where through rare good fortune a copy of the confederate battle plan lee's special order number one nine one fell into his hands then westward twelve miles to the passes of south mountain there on september fourteen at turner's fox's and crampton's gaps lee tried to block the federals but because he had split his army to send troops under general thomas j stonewall jackson to capture harper's ferry lee could only hope to delay the northerners mcclellan forced his way through and by the afternoon september fifteen both armies had established new battle lines west and east of antietam creek near the town of sharpsburg when jackson's troops reached sharpsburg on the sixteenth harper's ferry having surrendered the day before lee consolidated his position along the low ridge that runs north and south of the town the battle opened at dawn on the seventeenth when union general joseph hooker's artillery began a murderous fire on jackson's men in the miller cornfield north of town in the time i am writing hooker reported every stalk of corn in the northern and greater part of the field was cut as close as could have been done with a knife and the slain lay in rows precisely as they had stood in their ranks a few moments before 
hooker's troops advanced driving the confederates before them and jackson reported that his men were exposed to near an hour to a terrific storm of shell canister and musketry about seven a m jackson was reinforced and succeeded in driving the federals back an hour later union troops under general joseph mansfield counter-attacked and by nine o'clock had gained some of the lost ground then in an effort to extricate some of mansfield's men from their isolated position near the dunker church general john sedgwick's division of edwin v sumner's corps advanced into the west woods their confederate troops struck sedgwick's men in both flanks inflicting appalling casualties meanwhile general william h french division of sumner's corps moved up to support sedgwick but veered south into confederates under general d h hill posted along an old sunken road separating the roulette and piper farms for nearly four hours from nine thirty a m to one p m bitter fighting raged along this road afterwards known as bloody lane as french supported by general israel b richardson's division also of sumner's corps sought to drive the southerners back confusion and sheer exhaustion finally ended the battle here and in the northern part of the field generally southeast of town union general ambrose e burnside's troops had been trying to cross a bridge over antietam creek since nine thirty a m some four hundred georgians had driven them back each time at one p m the federals finally crossed the bridge now known as burnside bridge and after a two-hour delay to reform their lines advanced up the slope beyond by late afternoon they had driven the georgians back almost to sharpsburg threatening to cut off the line of retreat for lee's decimated confederates then about four p m general a p hill's division left behind by jackson at harper's ferry to salvage the captured federal property arrived on the field and immediately entered the fight burnside's troops were driven back to the heights near the bridge they had taken earlier the battle of antietam was over the next day lee began withdrawing his army across the potomac river more men were killed or wounded at antietam on september seventeenth eighteen sixty two than on any other single day of the civil war federal losses were twelve thousand four hundred and ten confederate losses ten thousand seven hundred although neither side gained a decisive victory lee's failure to carry the war effort effectively into the north caused great britain to postpone recognition of the confederate government the battle also gave president abraham lincoln the opportunity to issue the emancipation proclamation which on january one eighteen sixty three declared free all slaves in states still in rebellion against the united states now the war had a dual purpose to preserve the union and end slavery end of supplementary text end of part four End of Antietam National Battlefield, Maryland by Frederick Tilburg